0: Amen. Today we are transitioning to a 4-week series focusing on Paul's second letter to his young friend Timothy. Now, over the years there has been there have been some questions about who actually wrote this letter and when the letter was written. But one thing we know for sure is that we hear Paul's voice and Paul's teachings in this letter. It is possible that someone else actually wrote it down years later. Other voices may have contributed, especially given that Paul wrote this while he was in a Roman prison. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But for the sake of this series, Suffice it to say that Paul, that Paul wrote this letter in some capacity, so I'll be referring to it as Paul's letter. And, his te- and what's important for us to know is that this is the last letter of Paul's teachings during his life here on earth. And there is power in last things, right? I mean, think about the last scene of a movie or the last chapter. Of a book. No matter how engaged or disengaged you are with the story up until that point, when it comes to the ending, we're usually paying attention because we want to know the conclusion. And we should approach this letter as that, that last scene of the movie because as human beings we are always looking for completion we're looking for resolution and in the midst of so much going on in the world now here's the thing personally I love a movie especially and, and books as well that end with as many questions as they do answers you may be the opposite you may prefer to have everything wrapped up neatly and nicely into a little bow when your're movie or when you're book ends. I shared with you recently in the newsletter that a favorite movie I've watched recently is titled Hell or High Water, and its final scene somehow manages to do both, to raise questions and offer answers at the same time, because there's some resolution. There's a bank robber and a Texas Ranger, and they're sitting on this porch, or one is sitting on the porch and one is standing, and they're discussing what's transpired over the course of this film, But when the scene fades to closing credits, you're also wondering, what happened next? What happened after? Did they really do what they said that they were going to do at the end? Of this movie. And friends, Scripture should always leave us with both resolution and questions as well. Scripture should always leave us with a sense of underlying peace about whatever it is we're going through. But Scripture also should spur us to ask more questions so that we can dig more deeply and imagine more fully what God is revealing to us. And in order to appreciate what is happening in the last scene of this film of Paul's life, in this first chapter today, that's the first part of the final scene of his life, it helps us to look at some of what had happened before. Look at the context of where of where we are. So the year is roughly 67 A.D., Nero, the emperor, is wreaking havoc in Rome, ordering the deaths and the torment of Christians on a daily basis. Paul is in a Roman prison, not for the first time, but for the second time. His first imprisonment was a little different. He was, able, he was basically out under house arrest. He was able to come and go from the prison. He knew that he would probably be released. He was allowed to have visitors. But this time is different. Paul is isolated in the worst conditions imaginable in a cell by himself. And he knows that when he walks out of that cell, that he will be walking to his death because he, will, because he knows that his end is near. He knows that Nero will order that will order his death. So what do, what do you do in a situation like that? What does Paul do? Wallow in his grief? Resent those who abandon him? Curse those who are about to come and get him and lead him to his death? No, we see in 2 Timothy... In, in this letter he writes that he sends words of grace to his friends. He sends words of mercy to his brothers and sisters in the faith. He sends words of peace to the ones who would continue the work of following Jesus when his days on earth are done. Paul's letters, as with all letters of his time, have a certain structure to them. And there is great comfort in structure that's one reason we give you this every Sunday that's one reason in traditional Methodism we have an order that you can hold in your hands or you can have on the screen in front of you because there is a comfort in coming into a place and knowing this is what we're planning to do next this is what is coming up there's a rhythm to it like the waves of the ocean and the same was true of the letters of Paul's day there was a structure to it that brought the people comfort and Paul always Always, always began his letters with a word of grace. After he identifies himself and the recipient in the first two verses of this passage, the first real word of the letter is grace. A word of blessing. Look in verse 2 to Timothy, my beloved child grace, mercy, and peace. After he identifies himself, He says this word of grace, which is a word of blessing. When Timothy and other followers of Jesus heard that word, they knew that it was Paul, their spiritual father, who was writing them. Grace is a word that we could spend months talking about and only scratch the surface. But I love John Wesley's definition of grace, which is simply grace is the work of the Holy Spirit. Grace is the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying to Timothy and to all of us, the Holy Spirit keep working within you. The Holy Spirit work within you. Every time we baptize someone, into the United Methodist Church, or we confirm one of our sixth graders into the United Methodist Church, this blessing is spoken. The Holy Spirit work within you. And that is powerful because we as the church are blessing them with that prayer of blessing that the Holy Spirit has been at work in their lives and will continue to work in their lives. And this is so important because if Paul can speak blessings on others from the worst of circumstances... How much more should those of us in better circumstances speak blessings? Looking at verses 3 and 4 where the blessing continues, I'm grateful to God whom I worship with a clear conscience when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, recalling your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith that I know lives in you. Everything Paul is saying here is a word of blessing. Paul remains aware that even though he is going through hell and high water in his own circumstances... So is Timothy. It's different from what Paul is going through, but they're both going through struggles. Timothy's family is struggling. The young church is struggling because of Nero's dangerous power. So he goes on to encourage Timothy in verses 5 and 6, reminding him of his faith, reminding him of the prayers of his family, the way grace has been active in his life for so long. But then also, around verses 6 through 8, Paul does something very clever. He's comforting Timothy. He's encouraging. He's speaking a word of grace over him. But then he also at this point basically gently begins commanding Timothy that he needs to get it together. That he needs to stand up and to be strong and to move forward in what God has already equipped him to do. In verses 6 through 8, we get one direct command after another. Paul is saying, you're going to be okay. Grace is with you, so get to work. And so it is with us. Remember, he's telling Timothy, remember what you've already got. God has kindled a gift in you. Friends, the biggest mistake that we make as Christians at the root of all of the mistakes we make is forgetfulness we so easily forget the goodness of god on a daily basis not because we try to we didn't wake up this morning and say i'm not going to think about i'm going to forget you know that god is good to me i'm going to forget what god did, did for me no that's not what we do we just get busy and we get bogged down by circumstances. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, remember what's important. That's one reason every month we come to this holy table and what we are told over and over is do this in remembrance of me from Jesus. Remember his sacrifice. We'll be talking more about remembrance in a couple of weeks. But what we see happening here is if Paul can declare from prison in prison in the days leading up to his execution, how good God is, how much more should we do so? For we have all been given grace. We've all been given the Holy Spirit who is at work among us and within us. And we will see it if we remember to look for that grace, if we remember to seek him with all of our heart. In verse 9, Paul returns to that first word of grace, to that word of blessing. Look with me at the end of verse 8 and then at verse 9. Join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Wait a minute. This grace began at the cross. No, that's not what it says. This grace began at the empty tomb. No that grace began at a manger in Bethlehem no it began before it was available before time began before Genesis chapter 1 First one, God's grace transcends time, friends, and it has been available to us all of these years. And then when Jesus came and gave God a face and brought the face of God to us, grace was revealed in all of its glory, and that same grace is with us today. And if that grace has—if you hear nothing else today, friends, hear this. Don't tune me out right after this either, but do hear this. If this grace has been at work before time began— why are you worrying about whatever you're worrying about right now? If this grace has been here since time before time began, before the ages began, before light came out of darkness, why are you bogged down by whatever is holding you captive? Right now, we come to a table every month that reminds us that we have been set free, not by our actions, not by our works. Paul talks about that in this verse, too. We don't have time to get to it today, but that's another sermon for another day. It is not our works that save us, but it is the gift of God in the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm remembering, and I made a note about this, how many of you have ever had a problem where you're typing something on your computer, and your computer thinks it's smarter than you are, and autocorrects a word that you typed, and they tell you that it's supposed to be a different word, and it's not the word that you wanted in the first place? How many of us auto correct? Can cause is not auto correcting anything, it's just messing everything up. Well, that ha- God bless Julie Gray, everybody. She types everything up in this bulletin every week, and when I read over it, nine times out of ten. The only things that I have to correct are indeed what autocorrect did, because you try typing thou and didst and all of that King James language from some of the hymns in here, then it autocorrect goes crazy. And one of the things that made me laugh out loud this week was when I was looking it over, the, the song that we sang at the offertory, Graves into Gardens, had been autocorrected into Graces into Gardens. Graves had been changed. To graces, and I thought, well, goodness, this makes perfect sense. Autocorrect actually kinda got it right this time because Paul is facing his earthly grave, and he's aware more than ever that that grave is no match for God's graces. Indeed, God not only turns the graves into gardens, we encounter grace at the graves of life. And it's harder for Timothy to see that. It is hard for Timothy to see that, which is why Paul is emphasizing this first word. He is saying the Holy Spirit is still at work in the midst of terror, in the midst of war, between hurricanes and in every corner of creation when someone chooses to follow Jesus. Paul is so secure in his relationship with God that he is at deep peace about what Will come. I can't tell you the number of times I have had people say to me that it is in their darkest hour, in the midst of a cancer diagnosis, in the aftermath of a sudden loss, in the midst of confusion over a lost job or financial uncertainty or world uncertainty. People tell me time after time as awful as those circumstances are. I've never felt God so near to me. And especially, I hear a lot of stories of folks saying when they're looking back on a painful period in their lives, as awful as it was and as much as they don't want to go through it again, they can look back and say... I sensed that God was with me and the, their faith deepened, their, their understanding of God deepened. And that's not all, it, hear me clearly friends, that's not a blanket case, but it's something I hear over and over. But friends, why should we wait for the worst of circumstances to hit in order to obtain this grace? Let's start today. Let's not let things get to the point where we're at our lowest point, where we have to draw on that grace. Start drawing on the grace now. And we do that by being more like Paul. What do I mean by that? Well, be more like Paul where we, instead of begging God for grace for ourselves just to make it through the day, speak grace over somebody else. Find your Timothy. Find one who is struggling, maybe even more than you are, maybe less than you are, but find someone else who you know needs that word of blessing and pray pray for them speak grace over them speak mercy over them speak peace over them because friends as i say this i've said this many many times before when we get our eyes off of our own circumstances and onto the needs of others we can't help but pray for them we can't help but bless god for his presence in their lives and that is what paul is that's what jesus is calling us to do through paul's example today speak grace over the timothy In your life, speak mercy over the one who you know is suffering, even though you may be suffering as well. Let us not become trapped in the worry that so easily ensnares us. And instead, let us speak grace, let us speak mercy, and let us speak peace. For we know whom we have believed, and we are persuaded that he is able to keep that which we commit unto him against that day, and we look toward that glorious day where we will see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ come again in glory to rule and reign with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, the blessed three in one, now and forever. Amen.